2: World
0: Stunned What the football Oh my goodness He stumbled and fumbled The lateral To the corner of the end zone. Can you believe that They're not gonna keep him Off the field tonight Holy cow <laughs> It's not the size Of the dog in the fight It's the size of the fight
1: Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Cooper 5 Deep Dive. A reminder to our audience that you can follow along with our bets as we put in our futures, win totals coming up here in the offseason all the way into week zero over at the Action app. That's BBOC G5 Deep Dive. And if you're missing Stucky, Colin Wilson, and Brett McMurphy, as Mike Ainello and I desperately are, you're in luck. They're back next week with episodes of the new BCS it's going to be next Thursday, and they're going to be hitting you during the offseason every other week. So it would be good to have them back. But this here in G5 land is our second part of our draft special, as we like to call it, graduation day. All of our G5 heroes working their way up, hopefully hearing their name called in Kansas City, having a team by the end of draft weekend. Some of these guys perhaps could be undrafted free agents. But we're going to get into all of them in this particular episode, going through position by position, the players we really like. Trying to give you a little insight for some of those, you know, keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, campus to canon, whatever fantasy format you're playing. The lifeblood of it is catching these rookies early and making sure that you are on the bandwagon as early as we were. In some cases, you know, these guys were we were rooting for them for many years. We had a little pennant, you know, Jake Hayner, one
3: of them. Let's get started there. Ionella, what are your thoughts on this quarterback class and how much do you love Jake would Say so you're talking bandwagons. There's there's No better place to start than Jake Hainer season in full effect. Look, at the end of the day, the dude is just a winner. Like he, he, I, I love him. He just wins. In three years at Fresno state, he was 18 and four in games. He finished over the last two years, 67 touchdowns, just seven picks through for nine, over 9,000 yards. And, you know, we've talked, we talked about the last show and we were talking about the the big guys, the, The two things I look at to kind of help me get sold on G5 guys is their talent level. Do they have power five talent and how do they do against power five? First of all, he started his career at Washington. You know, he had power five offers coming out of high school. They even wanted him last year. There was like the weird thing where he kind of like half transferred and then decided to stay. And there were other power five teams that were interested in him. So he had the ability to play at a power five level. And you look at him against the power five, you know, 298 yards and a touchdown against Oregon, almost beat them. he was basically like limping the entire game, 380 yards and four touchdowns against UCLA did beat them. You know, DTR is probably going to get drafted before him. Jake Hainer outplayed him on the same field, 216 and a touchdown against Oregon state, a touchdown against USC before getting hurt. He played like a half at 117 yards, 280 yards and two touchdowns against Washington state in the bowl game. In five games against Power 5 competition, he had nine touchdowns in just one pick. And he balled out in all of those games and almost beat all of them, basically. Um, so I love that. I know you're going to... You've you've used the term popcorn arm before. Yes, he does not have the strongest arm. He is on the smaller side. Uh, let's see, what's he listed at? You know, six, six flat, if he's lucky, maybe. But guess what? Number one overall pick is going to be less than six feet, so... Who cares? He He's just all heart. You can't measure heart, calibres. You can't measure heart. He's all heart, all balls. He's, he's super smart. Always seems to kind of, you know, make the right play. He is one of the better pre-snap adjustment guys as terms of the G5 level. He's not one of those quarterbacks that just like stares at the sidelines and then says hike. You know, he's reading the secondary. He's picking up blitzes before the snap and moving guys around, which you don't often see at the G5 level. He's one of those guys that does team, seem to make adjustments before the play. He's really good at break, uh, picking up the blitz. He's not like a freak athlete, but he's he's pretty mobile in the pocket. He kind of reminds me a little bit of my boy, Trace McSorley. He's kind of got a little Trace McSorley in him. You know, maybe not the best NFL comparison, but where he's, he's just – he's kind of small, but he's just he's just ballsy. He's probably a fourth-round pick. But to me, you know, for my money, after Young, Stroud, Richardson, Levis, and Hooker, I think you can make a case Jake Hander is the next best quarterback. I
1: think you can make that case, certainly. I think that's more of an indictment of this quarterback draft class because, in my opinion, he probably should be more of a sixth or seventh round pick. And I think he could be a solid backup in the NFL. He's an anticipatory thrower. He's really good in the short and intermediate area. He makes the right decision almost all the time. The ball gets out of his hands really quickly, which in the modern NFL, where there's more RPO layered into the offense, you got to make these quick reads. I think he could be a good student of the game and be helpful in a quarterback room right away. My biggest concern is obviously... There's nothing he can do to become a better downfield passer. It's not like hit the weight room or you know do some kind of exercise. All of a sudden, the ball's exploding out of your hand. When he throws the ball more than 30 yards downfield, it's it flutters. It can be flat, and it's just it's not going to take the top off the defense. Tell you
3: what, hey, Chad Pennington had a hell of a career for himself.
1: I, and I agree. I I think there's an opportunity for him to be a fringe starter, quality backup for the majority of his career. The injury thing, I think, is also the the element that caps him the most, which is like if he's playing 17 regular season games per season as a starter, there's no way he's making it a full year without getting hurt because he just gets ragdolled in some of these games. And I agree, he's an incredibly tough kid. He played through injury in that upset against UCLA, where like he could barely like swing his hips around. Like he, he's got moxie, all the words you want to use. But the best of ability in the NFL is availability. I want that kid on the field leading my offense. So I wouldn't take him in the fourth round. I, I take him in the, in the later stages, but I do think he's going to be a quality backup. And you kind of teed it up that I was going to crap on this kid. That's the worst I'm going to say about him. Unlike this next quarterback on the list, Clayton Toon, who threw 30 interceptions the last three years. I've officially had it. I, I You know what? I'll go
3: back in time. I had it when... Wait, wait. When you said you wanted to talk Toon, and I said I wanted to talk... Uh, Hainer, I thought you were going to argue Tune as the guy over Hainer. Wow, this is a surprising no. turn of – I thought you were going to try to make a case that Tune's better than Hainer. So I'm going to go right
1: back in the, in the way back machine here, and this is when I officially lost it, and it was the Sam Darnold year when he went at the very top of the draft. When you have turnover problems in college, they never get fixed. They didn't get fixed with Jameis Winston. They didn't get fixed uh, with Darnold. And I certainly don't think they're going to get fixed with Clayton Toon because what does he do? He stares down his receiver. If we're going to give kudos to Hayner, which I think he deserves for going through his reads and always being in the right position, you know, in terms of accuracy with placement, Toon's on the other side of it. Like he can absolutely throw a dime 40 yards downfield to an open receiver and he can make plays scrambling out of the pocket. And he had some exciting tape and you know some big wins and some big stats last year. I mean, he had what seven touchdowns and that loss to SMU wasn't his fault. He wasn't playing defense. But I also look at the early portion of that. I think, that he, I, think he, I think he
3: did have two picks in that game, didn't he? Yeah,
1: I, I, I think he probably did. And then on top of things, like they came in, they were supposed to be in the conversation the entire year to beat the G five automatic bid. And what do they do? They scored 30 points and lose to Texas Tech. That Texas Tech defense outside of Wilson on the edge stunk. They just did not have enough guys to play at the Power 5 level and be competitive, let alone against Houston. He didn't play well. And then they only scored 30 points against Kansas. I know Kansas was resurgent offensively, but the Jayhawks defense should have gotten lit up. So I'm going to hold it against them. I'm going to hold it against, you know, Holgerson's system. It's supposed to make quarterbacks look good. It made Geno Smith look like a Heisman caliber quarterback, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was. So at this point, I'm I'm out on him completely, and it's totally turnover-based. He has much better physical tools. He's a bigger guy, the quote-unquote prototypical build, all that. I'm not taking him. In a year like this, I'd rather have Hayner with the expectation I'm not bringing a guy in to be my starter. Like maybe an emergency Brock Purdy situation, if all the stars align and the rest of your roster is really good, I think Hayner could go in and be successful as well. But with Toon, with I just don't trust him with the turnovers. What are your thoughts on the Cougs QB one.
3: Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's almost like, I mean, basically everything you touched on, I have in my notes too. It's, it's like with him, I'm always torn on him. Even through college, I was torn on him because his good is really good, but his bad is really bad. You mentioned the picks. He fumbled a ton in college. That was another thing that oh, he got a little better as he got older, but that older is another thing. He was in college for five years and like, yeah, he did get better each season, which is like a good thing, but he's already what, I think he's 25 years old, something like that. You know, he's, he's more athletic than Hainer. He's obviously bigger. does have a stronger arm, but you mentioned he is way more careless with the football and and what Hainer is excellent at in reading defenses and progressing. That's what Tune's bad at. And I kind of teased it last episode with the tank Dell talk. If tank Dell was covered, Tune was screwed. He, he panicked, he got in trouble. he, His arm is better, but he almost relies on that. Where like, if Toon's running an out route, or if uh, Dell's running an out route, Toon would just stare at him and he'd make his break. And he would try to just throw a rocket to the sidelines and get picked off every time. So, uh, you know, he tested well at the combine, which helped his stock. I think he's faster than I thought he was, to be honest. You mentioned the whole go system, which is his biggest downfall. But also I I do think, I think Toon has enough arm talent where if he's in a system that can just scheme guys open, if he if he was on the 49ers, you know, I think he would be I think he would be a good backup for Jalen Hurts, to be honest. I love Hurts. He isn't trying to take anything away from Hurts. But the Eagles offense is very good at, like, putting Hurts in a position to succeed and scheming guys open. And with the weapons they have, like, to me, Toon Toon's obviously not as athletic as Hurts, but he would be a good backup for Jalen, where it's like, if you have if Devontae Smith's wide open, like, Toon can hit him. And that's kind of what he needs because he's not good enough at throwing guys open or, or anticipating he needs a guy open and then he can hit him. Um, so I do think he's, you know, a fifth, sixth round pick. Like you said, he, he's probably has the arm talent to be a backup, but I don't think he has the, you know, the, the, the defense reading skills and kind of anticipation to be anything more than like a, Hey, if my guys hurt, we'll throw a tune in for a week and hope he keeps it close kind of guy. So we're the G5 guys. We got to keep
1: it positive. Also, this off-season, it's just a deluge of negative talk about the G5. ESPN's uh, you know, power index came out. They had one G5 team in the top 50, and it was SMU at 49. They didn't even have Tulane in the top 50. I've had
3: enough of this G5 slay. Wait, 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 wait. No, before I just want to this will be really quick before we get positive. I want to ask you cuz just to make sure we're agreement Another guy that was, I'm seeing kind of in that fifth, sixth-round area, I'm not a big Jaron Hall fan at all. He's another one. He's 25 years old. He's mobile, but I don't love his arm. He is, I mean, he's gotten hurt every single season, so I I don't really see enough upside with Jaron Hall. Um, I just kind of assume you're in agreement there.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's in that developmental sixth, seventh undrafted free agent kind of window but once again yeah. that's an indictment of how thin this quarterback class is
3: so i think he'll get a chance i'm, not sure, I, I'm hope, not sure I, he can I, seize it i hope whole gets a chance i would love to see whole Aylers get drafted in the seventh round
1: whole Aylers feels like mr xfl to me or if we can like bring back the you know nfl europe like he's a berlin dragon or something like that like he he has that vibe where i want to see him nine years from now still getting paid to play football where it's like i could go for four touchdowns and 500 yards or I could turn it over seven let's times. Just just hand. let him
3: get let let him have his name called.
1: All right, positivity. Here we go. I am thrilled that this guy has slid in mock drafts. The main reason he had a hamstring injury, so he didn't do the combine, didn't do his pro day because of the hamstring injury. So now he's in the third or fourth round. I think this guy, depending on fit, everything in the NFL is fit dependent. If he's on the right roster with an opportunity to win the starting role, Dwayne McBride is going to be a starting running back in the NFL monster production at UAB. And you and I both know, having watched way too much crappy UAB offense, he was running into nine and 10 man boxes and he had 155 yards per game, which led the nation 7.3 yards per carry, 19 rushing touchdowns. The guy is a wagon. I hate that. You know, that gets thrown around way too liberally in college football and college sports in general, but holy moly. He's built like a wagon. It's not like a wagon is good.
3: He looks like a wagon. He's shaped like the Oregon Trail wagon. He's a monster.
1: (laughs) I mean, he reminds me like when they would talk about the UAB offense, the courting of Marcus Dupree, that book, and then the ESPN 30 for 30, his high school coach used to say, you know what our play on third and long was? sweep to Marcus. Well, third and long for UAB was just give the ball uh, to McBride. Somehow they didn't throw him the ball very much. I think that's the only legitimate hit that you can put on him. I think he had like five receptions last year, but just, you know, do a private workout, find out, like do your due diligence. Like you have to be able to find out talking to coaches and going through some of the practices and everything else. Like can he catch or not? You don't need him to all of a sudden be one of these incredible, you know, hybrid backs. Like he's never going to be Christian McCaffrey, But he's such a downhill runner. He's explosive. But he's the perfect guy to play with
3: Christian McCaffrey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he could be an interesting change of pace right there. So I think someone's going to get a steal. I would reach into the third round for him. I think he's that good. Um, But I think if he does end up going in the fourth round, it's all about the marriage. If the right NFL team picks him,
3: he could pop from a fantasy perspective right away. Yeah, could not agree more. Yeah, you mentioned it. The past game is his only issue. He also did fumble a ton. That's kind of the other one. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he, I think he had five lost fumbles last year, which not great, obviously. Yeah, he, he, You know, you talked about him leading the country in yards per game. And with college, you kind of have to be nervous that, I mean, not necessarily at the G5 level, but every now and again, you'll have a guy that puts up 400 yards against, like, the little sisters of the poor and it skews the numbers. Not McBride. He had over 120 yards in 10 of his 11 games. So it wasn't just like, oh, he had two or three monster outings. and skewed No, he was good in every single game. He finished fourth in the country in yards after contract. He's bigger, but for a big guy, he he's not like the fastest, yeah. but he has really good footwork and really good balance. He's like very quick and nimble on his feet. Um, since Pro Football Focus has uh, tracked forced missed tackle rate since 2014, McBride is third since 2014 behind Bijan Robinson and Javante Williams from uh, UNC a couple of years ago. It's pretty good. And the thing I love about him the most is granted, cause he had to do everything for this offense is I, I remember like Thanksgiving specifically was kind of stood out at me. There's a couple of games where when he, if he gets tackled by one guy, he's furious. Like there's mm-hmm. a couple, there's a play. I remember Thanksgiving where, yeah it was Thanksgiving the day after Thanksgiving that week because their quarterback got hurt and he basically got 48 carries and I remember he had like a wide open lane and got tripped up by his ankle and tripped up like after eight yards instead of getting the first down and he slammed the football on the ground he was so pissed that he got tackled by one guy and I remember seeing it like turn my cousin like god I love that guy so much like he gets (laughs) angry with himself if one guy brings him down he's one of the guys that like seeks contact just wants to run you over Uh, I agree with you. I think he's tough as nails. He's like the perfect, he's so hard to bring down. He's like the perfect guy in the NFL for like that change. You know, you think of, you know, maybe if you want to throw him with, you know, like the Eagles, if you want to kind of pair him with, uh, uh, what's his face, Kenny Gainwell and like Boston Scott, you throw Dwayne McBride in there. You you put him on the bills with James Cook. They just lost Devin Singletary, James Cook and Dwayne McBride would be a really good kind of one, two punch for the bills. So I'm with you. Um, I love, uh, Dwayne McBride. But I teased it last week that there's a guy that the more I like. Yeah,
1: I'm league, excited to hear who your running back sleeper is because I shared with you the other one that
3: I like, and I thought there was a chance this was the guy, but apparently not, so lay it on me. If you're, in a, if you're in a rookie dynasty draft, you know, three rounds, McBride probably gets taken in the third round. The guy that probably doesn't get drafted that I'm picking up right away, I love Keaton Mitchell so much. I think Keaton Mitchell is the perfect, you know, late round draft pick, free agency dynasty pickup where it's not going to cost you anything. He's not going to cost you draft capital. If he doesn't pan out, you can just drop him for nothing. But I think he has the potential to be one of those, like who the hell is this guy monster kind of breakouts. So he shared the backfield basically his whole career at ECU, which I think hurt him with Raji Harris, who was the stud. Raji Harris was all like uh, ACC his freshman year, I think. And you know Harris of the team freshman year, Mitchell had ten. Oh, he only had ten more carries than Harris. And uh, 2021, he had double his yards. Last year, Harris gets hurt in week five. Socked for ECU. Good for uh, Keaton Mitchell. Mitchell averaged 145 yards over the last seven weeks of the season. 7.2 yards per carry, only behind McBride on the in, in the year. He is stupid fast. He ran a 4.37 at the combine. And honestly, he looks faster on this. I thought a four three seven was slow for him because he looks so much faster because he is very small. His foot speed is off the charts. He is so quick. He's so good at just juking and dancing around defenders, just like a little... Ch-ch-ch-ch. I love watching him. He uses his size well. He has a really low center of gravity, takes advantage of it. He runs low to the ground. Um, he's patient, just kind of dances, hides behind his lineman. sees the hole, he's gone. He's good in the passing game on the opposite of McBride. He didn't fumble the ball once all season, which I love. His biggest size is or biggest downside is obviously gonna be his size. He's small. He also just refuses to run between the jackals. Like he bounces everything to the outside, but he's so fast that he can kind of get away with it. And I have a question for you, Capri's pop quiz. Do you remember the last undersized running back who's super fast that came out of East Carolina? We're talking about uh, CJ2K, Chris Johnson? CJ2K. Oh, and by the way, uh, Keaton Mitchell had 45 more yards in college than Johnson did on 160 less carries. I'm not going to say he's better than Chris Johnson, but he was was in college. So I think he's shifty and he's quick enough that he's talking about these, you know, everything in the NFL now is these two-back system. He's the, honestly, draft McBride and Keaton Mitchell, and you have yourself a hell of a backfield. He's the perfect change of pace back, and... To me, his ceiling in the NFL is kind of, you know, Raheem Moster, you know, Antonio Gibson, who's another guy, by the way, Antonio Gibson basically split the whole backfield with Kenneth and in, in uh, college. It wasn't really that good in college, to be honest with you, and then was great his first few years in Washington. You know, you look at Tariq Cohen. To me, that's another guy. And to me, his floor is like Boston Scott, who's a very productive, like, would you rather have Boston Scott or Keith Mitchell? Because to me, I'd rather have Keith Mitchell and, and Scott been pretty good on the Eagles for the last couple of years. So I love Keith Mitchell. He's a guy where, you know, w- with that Raheem Moster kind of three cone ceiling, I- I'm going to take a flyer on uh, Keaton Mitchell in my fan uh dynasty draft
2: for sure. Okay, before we go any further, as a reminder, Big Bets on Campus is presented by BetMGM. So get it on the action with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION and get up to $1,000 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is the bonus code ACTION. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP Call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789 or call 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi in Ontario. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. I'll wrap up my running
1: back position with one of the best nicknames in all of college football history, Lamborghini Layburn from Marshall. He's the beneficiary of Rashina Lee being sidelined for the majority of the season. He comes in as there's actually, I think rivals had him as a five-star out of high school in Florida state, four stars everywhere else, five, 200 pounds, ran a four, five, elite vertical and broad jump. And he was a monster in the weight weight room, 23 reps on the bench press at two twenty five. So that was tremendous when you pair it with his production in this season at Marshall, 1,500 yards, 16 TDs. He's not someone who's necessarily that home run hitter, so I do think that's going to put him more in a running back by committee situation and not necessarily the upside of some of the backs we've mentioned earlier you know, in the pod here. But I think he's a great guy to add, and certainly where you can get him, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I've seen multiple mock drafts. He's not drafted at all. I think that's wrong given his overall talent, the fact that he refused to give up on this dream. He had some injuries, he had a transfer, he had a weight. And when he got the opportunity, he thrived. I think that's, that speaks positively to his overall character. And the other element of it is, yes, he had spent all these years in college, but not much tread on the tires. So in terms of like what he had to carry in terms of overall workload, he only had one season there at Marshall. So I'm big on this guy. I would add him, certainly if he's there in the sixth round, take a shot on a player like this because I think the name of the game is looking for those undervalued assets. And I think he's top of the board in in terms of that category, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I, to me, it's like, there's kind of three guys I was kind of like circling to be like, you know, six, It's It's him, it's Lou Nichols, the third, who... It was a weird case because he literally led the entire country in rushing la- uh, two years ago and then had a really disappointing last year, um, kind of battled injuries. Uh, Cameron Peoples is another one that probably gets his name called. Um he kind of split a backfield at app state his whole time there. So yeah,
1: Cam Peoples to me, whenever I watched him play, he always flashed where it's like this guy should be the lead. He should be getting 85% of the carries. It was just a situation where they were so deep and yeah. they could bring in different skill position players
3: to run the ball in waves. Yeah. Him and Noel that was always of, their mindset. Yeah. So Cameron Peoples a guy I would you know all these guys are going to need to be in, they're never going to be like a lead back. Um, but to me, you know, we mentioned the the first two guys. That's kind of why I'm I'm higher on them is because at least they have an elite skill set. You know, um, Mitchell with his his speed, um, and what's his face with his strength. So uh, McBride with the strength. So I, I think you know Nichols and, and Peoples are kind of in Labor and are kind of those last couple rounds just take a flyer on them.
1: All right. What if we switch to wide receiver? Are you good on the running back room? You feel like you've uh, said your piece? All right. I'm going to go with a player that's pure tape versus measurables. Had an awful, disastrous pro day. I can't imagine what it's like to set up your pro day and you know it's going bad and you still have like five drills to go through. It's like his 40 was below average, his vertical, his bench, his broad jump. Talking Puka Nakua, 6'2, two, 200 pounds. When he was healthy, this guy was a monster. Former four star, hurt again, hurt on and off all throughout 2020. But when you look at his highlights, and this is what we get into when we're talking about the the day three of the draft, you're looking at the ceiling. So you, you turn on the tape, for the opener, 75-yard rushing touchdown against USF. And there's plenty of offenses in the NFL. It's not just gadget stuff on a one-off basis that like to get these slot receivers and even end-arounds involved in the running game. He can do it right away. Then he plays against Arkansas, eight receptions, 141 yards, touchdown, two more rushing TDs against Boise 14 receptions 157 yards two TDs that was when he was making Jaron Hall look like an NFL quarterback and then if you go all the way back to last season against the big 12 champs in Baylor five receptions 168 yards touchdown he's a big play guy he flashes great body control he knows how to get himself open he knows how to fight for the football and he's a yak master pretty much just like get him the ball in open space and he's not going down on that, that first hit, particularly when it's undersized corners. So the fact is, you, you have to either put stock in the tape or put stock in the fact that he had a disastrous pro day and maybe he just doesn't have the physicality to play in the NFL. I don't think that's true. I think the only real concern is his injuries. But if you draft him in the sixth or seventh round, like, you're not banking on him being a contributor necessarily to your 2D. Your You're hoping that he makes the team. You're hoping that he can be that fifth or sixth receiver on your roster. I think he's good enough to be at his very top ceiling if he stayed healthy, a wide receiver too in the NFL because of his size and his playmaking ability. What are your thoughts on Nakua?
3: Yeah, he, he's such a weird guy to me because, like, like you said, I mean, you mentioned it with, with Ailers, you know, the best abilities available ability that's why you know he it's not a bad late round flyer just because like you said okay if it gets hurt who cares seventh round sixth, or seventh round pick but i do think he has a lot more upside um than a lot of these guys and, and you know for me this was i think we kind of mentioned it last episode this is like a weird year for quarterback or for receivers where i feel like it's it's not as deep as we've seen in the past like two three years where you've had like these monster classes so even going through here and trying to be like okay who's my favorite receiver i want to talk about i i kind of struggled separating them to be honest because they're all i don't know they're all just kind of meh um and they're kind of in tears to me um so i'll honestly just run through a couple guys i've written down quick because i don't have extensive notes on any of them because they're just kind of like yeah you know take mm-hmm. a shot we did mention Tyler Scott last week a little bit, how he, you know, is flying up the draft because he ran a 4-3-7. Um, a couple other guys that'll, that'll, you know, probably get drafted in that fifth, sixth, seventh round. Trey Tucker from Cincinnati, you know, only a one-year starter, exclusively played in the slot, small guy, but fast. Um, C.J. Johnson, I actually really like C.J. Johnson, um, East Carolina, big body takes really long strides. He's not fast, but he, you know, he takes like six steps and he's 40 yards on the field. Um, strong hands. He's br- he's big enough to break tackles after he catches the ball, which I think teams will like, he's a good, like throw it up and let him go get it guy. Uh, Grant Dubois from Charlotte club Lit, shout out six 200 pounds. Looks like it looks like an NFL guy, big body, good ball skills, good route runner. He's just not that fast. He's just really not fast enough to get open. So he's a good depth receiver and you know if you're playing against like a zone defense he's probably a good guy because he's he can go you know get open like get catch the ball in traffic but he's not really going to burn a guy one-on-one uh did cropper you know from fresno state similar to Hainer, he's small but he's slippery he's he's very smart very good route runner he's really good at getting open uh he's he's great Great relationship with you know he, him and Hainer had such a good connection where He was so good at getting open for Hainer so I think a quarterback probably love having him as like a safety valve. Um yeah,
1: when you talk about Fresno State I wouldn't actually be shocked if his teammate Nico Remigio ends up making a roster just because he can be a return specialist too. Yeah. So maybe he that's makes a the team as he's a fast, returner. He's fast. Yeah, he was fast and also he played you know at the Power 5 level at Cal. I like a lot of, you know, what Fresno brings to the table in terms of the draft this year. But I, I just have
3: this sneaking suspicion it's going to be Remigio that ends up making an NFL roster. I, I wouldn't hate that at all. Uh, Jason Brownlee, Southern Miss, another one. Jalen Wayne, South Alabama. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out. Michael Jefferson from Louisiana uh, was hit head-on in a car accident by a drunk driver and is going to miss the entire season. So sucks for him because he's, he's you know – I'm looking right now, you know, six round projected on him. Probably doesn't get drafted now. Why would you bother? He's not going to be able to play all year. And, you know, to get hit by a scumbag junk driver and pretty much cost you your NFL career is just the worst. So absolutely sucks for him. Um, You know, hopefully he'll recover and someone will give him a chance. But just blows. He's not going to hear his, you know, name called because someone had to be an asshole. So sucks for him. Uh, I'll end this on one positive note. Uh,
1: one player that I think has a chance to hear his name called and I think he's a little bit undervalued because of two things. One, inside of his control to a certain degree. He was banged up through his career. He had some issues um, staying on the field, but also, this is going to be a little toss to you, Ionello. He had Shevin Cordero throwing him the ball. So When you <laughs> go for nearly 70 receptions over 1,000 yards and 10 TDs with Cordero tossing the, the rock all over the yard, I'm impressed, Elijah Cooks, He's also, and kind of like what you were alluding to, which is when you look through all of these players at the wide receiver position in that rounds four through seven to undrafted range, what pops? What's special? Who's a burner? He's at least big. He's six four, you know, and he ran a four five. So when I look at his production in a year with a quarterback that I don't think all that much of, and his overall size, I think he has a chance to to maybe hang on to an NFL roster because he at least
3: brings something a little bit special to the table. Yeah. The good news too, with, with the wide receivers is just while I'm not in love with any of them, you know, looking at prospect rankings, there's not power five guys that are really in this conversation either. You know, yeah, once you get past like the fourth round, like even P five guys, you're like Rakeem Jarrett from Maryland, you know, uh, Justin Shorter from Florida, who as a Penn State guy, he cannot catch a cold, um, Ronnie Bell from Michigan, can't stay healthy. Mitchell Tinsley, Penn State, we do love him. We should talk about Mitchell Tinsley. He's an honorary G5 guy, West Yes, Kentucky. he absolutely the, the pride is. He was part of baby the, baby. Uh, you
1: know, keeping the, keeping the zappy tradition alive, as many sound guns that we can fire in this podcast as possible. We, we, will,
3: we will find any excuse to just say the word Bailey Zappi. Um, but you, you remember, I was so pumped when Penn State landed Tinsley, and he was awesome for them this year. He was so good for Cliff. Like him and Clifford had an instant connection. So shout out Mitchell Tinsley. We will, we will fully take credit as for him when he gets drafted as well. We already touched on
1: the tight end position in the last episode. Zach Kuntz, um, I'm very high on him. Some people view him as a project. I think he's already ready as a pass catcher to be a significant threat in the NFL. He's going to have to work as an inline blocker and all these other things that if he wants to be an every down tight end, but keeping him as your tight end two, tight end three, in a pass-heavy offense, I think he could absolutely pop. And particularly in the NFL, there's like seven or eight guys who are just studs. They are dudes in the NFL at the tight end position. And then there's just a lot of regular guys. And it's like that revolving door, I think, leaves it open for someone like Koontz to come in and show what he can do. You know, in 2021, he was a monster. He was, you know, hitting big plays all over the place. Um, we're going to finish it up with two more positions going to look at linemen give a little love to the hog mollies up front and then look at our favorite defensive players i'm going to go city so from eastern michigan the great white north producing another one canadian superstar 6'5, 325, mega athletic he killed it at the combine 40 vertical broad jump and i think that's music to the ears of a lot of these offense coordinators and offensive-minded head coaches in the NFL. They want to get people to the second level. Can he do that? He regularly got to the second level as a run blocker, whether he's pulling or he's in the screen game, trying to, you know, get downfield. I think that gives him a chance. He played 56 college games because of the COVID year bonus situation. So a ton of experience, he got better and better as it went on. And he played in the NFL PA collegiate bowl, performed well there. It's not necessarily as prestigious as you know the the senior bowl but it did give a little bit of apples to apples comparison you know you're not in the mac anymore how are you going to do i think he's someone who's going to hear his name in day three and i'm excited for the kid i love rooting for the Fighting hurons
3: of eastern michigan so good for him yeah he's a weird guy too. where he like you said six years at eastern michigan he had kind of a weird career he he was an olympic weightlifter in like high school he wasn't even on he wasn't on online Line recruiting services That's why he didn't get recruited because they don't have internet in canada apparently so like <laughs> nobody knew who he was uh the eastern michigan staff was like came to this school to like see someone else and like saw him in the parking lot and was like you're humongous and like "So you were coming with us sir pl- please played, get into the car he played d-line in high school he even played the offensive line so the fact that he you know took him a little more time but he was all mac the last two years um i love that, p- that pick i'm also going to give some love to the-, the hog mollies up front uh Another guy I'm, I'm looking at is uh, Nick Saldiveri from Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that I really liked. Obviously, you know I watched more Old Dominion than most people for some reason because the Wolfpack rides on. Um, the thing with him is a lot of times with and another thing by the way I like Sal is the same reason is a lot of the the G five guys that get drafted are the left tackle because they're the biggest best player on their small school and they're but they're never bigger good enough to play it in the NFL. So they always have to transition. So the fact that Sal was a guard, I love. And uh, Sal DeVere played right tackle at Old Dominion, which is not common, but I like it because he's not going to play left tackle in the NFL. Um, he didn't allow a sack all season. 6'6", 320 pounds. Big guy. Really, He has really, really good feet, but not good hands. Like, that's kind of his one area. Is he has to get better with his hands and get tougher. But... He was the team captain. He brought a ton of energy. He was like one of those raw, raw guys. that's always like, you know, getting his boys going on the sidelines and the, the, you know, in the huddle, which I'm a sucker for. Uh, versatile guy during this, you mentioned this, the, you know, the senior bowl, uh, Sal Devere was the same way, where he played tackle guard and center throughout the week and like looked good at all three. So I think a team's going to fall in love with, you know, his versatility that he can kind of do whatever. So he's another guy I expect to see his name called, you know, that third, fourth, fifth round kind of kind of guy. All right, we'll wrap up with our defensive players. Darrell Luter Jr. from
1: South Alabama. I love this kid. Last year, he was a pro football focus All-American. Like They really got into just how much of a shutdown corner he was. I wouldn't say that he necessarily took a big step back last year, just statistically and the overall evaluations on him weren't quite as high. But then he comes back in the senior bowl. And what I think is interesting when you listen to GMs and you listen to scouts the senior role game is one thing. What they really want to see is the individual drills, particularly when these G5 and FCS guys go up against the Power 5 guys, and he performed particularly well in those situations. And so when you pair that with the fact that for the position, he has plus size. He's over 6 feet, 190 pounds, ran in the four four five range a 40.5 vertical as well. So he's someone who I don't think is going to be overmatched physically in the NFL. I think you're going to be able to get him in the middle rounds. And I think he could be a solid second corner in the NFL within a couple of years. He's someone I watched, you know, a, a lot of South Alabama football with a a Troy future ticket last year. They were the team in the West I was worried about. So I ended up watching plenty of Jag football and he clearly stands out. He's, he's a lockdown corner. I think he got, you know, ton of experience being the guy and shutting down a half of the field in college. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on him. And it was enough for me to pick him as one of my two guys here to highlight.
3: Yeah. I'm completely him, him and uh, starting Thomas are kind of two corners that I, I, I both from UAB. I I really like both of them. I think both of them will be successful NFL guys Uh, for my, you know, my first defender, I want to highlight, I actually almost brought him up last week when I was trying to, you know, I went with Dorian Williams. uh, But here's another guy I think, honestly could be a, a, a third round pick as, as high as that. I love JL Skinner from Boise mm. safety from Boise state. I think he's got he, a great size. I mean, he's, 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 knocking he's, a, around. he's a perfect NFL frame. And his one weakness to me is the easiest thing to fix in the NFL is that he's skinny. It's just, just put on muscle mass. That's literally all he needs. NFL.com actually has him ranked as the third best safety in the draft behind Antonio Johnson and Jair Brown. So he's super experienced. He's played 44 games over four years for Boise State. You mentioned it 6'3, 210 pounds. He's got freakishly long arms and he is not afraid to tackle. He had 92 tackles in 2021. He just sticks his nose in the running game, loves to hit, is, you know, he'll miss the occasional tackle because he is so thin. If he, if he just, you know, he'll kind of swing and miss, but, but what I love about him too, is he didn't tackle as much last year. Cause they didn't need it. They had really good linebackers. They needed him to help with the run game in 21. And he did it last year. They're like, we have a really good friend seven. We need you more in the secondary. And he thrived in that. He has excellent timing, never takes penalties. He got called for one flag all last year and it was targeting and it was questionable at best. He had four interceptions, good ball skills. He didn't participate in the combine because he tore his pack training, which does suck. And maybe that's why he falls to third or fourth. Honestly, he probably could be a second round pick. if He ran and did all the combine stuff. He's thin, like I said, but he loves to tackle. I think if he bulks up in the NFL, he is a legitimate NFL starter right away. I, I am all, all in on JL Skinner. I'm going to close
1: with someone I'm all in on. I'm going to predict that he's going to hit double-digit sacks at some point in his NFL career. And I think the secret's out on Jose Ramirez from Eastern Michigan. Big Shrine Bowl performance confirms what he can do against better talent. His measurables are fantastic. So he, he ran a 4.740, great shuff, or shuttle, vertical, broad, three-cone drill, all of it at the combine. He was all in that 90th percentile or better 62 245 pounds, 19 and a half tackles for loss in 2022 in the modern NFL where you want to bring in those pass rushers kind of that revolving door and rotating in and you know maybe in his rookie year he gets 10 to 15 snaps i think he's going to be disruptive he has a lot of creative pass rush moves as well so he's not just a pure speed rusher off the edge and that production almost in 20 TFLs in a college season I know it's the Mac. I understand that. But this guy was just an absolute stud who got better and better. And really, you know, when you read some of the a bit of smoke screen, a bit of it's, you know, scout speaks, you know, however you want to frame it. But more and more positive things are coming out about this guy before the draft. So I could see him maybe in the fourth rounds and certainly being a contributor during his rookie year. And like I said, I, I just think he has everything that it takes from a physicality perspective. You want to have that short burst speed and being able to you know essentially lunge at the quarterback and be disruptive putting your hands up he can do all those things it'd be nice if he was a little bit heavier you know maybe he can put on that that weight in the proper way and not lose that speed in the nfl but i'm big on jose ramirez he's my guy he's my defensive sleeper for this draft
3: yeah i i had two edge rushers written down ramirez was one of them he you know everyone remembers the the harold perkins game against start arkansas right the, the second, you know, award winner for most dominant single-hand defensive performance might go to Ramirez against Western Michigan. Uh, if you remember that game, he had... Four sacks, at least, I think, had, in that he game. Four sacks, four tackles for loss, eight tackles. He, he, like, they won 45-23, and he just absolutely wrecked havoc in that game. Uh, I agree with you. You know, 12 sacks, he, he was a monster. He is he's not really good at anything, but getting after the passer. Um, so he needs to get better in the run defense just to kind of be out there on more than just third down, pin your ears back. But I agree with you. He is like the perfect guy of like, you know, your team has a lead and the other team is, has the ball in the fourth quarter. There's, there is few players I would want on the field more than Jose Ramirez is just pin your ears back, go get the quarterback and the game. I think he is perfect for that. And I'll go with a similar guy that I love is, i never know how to say his first name. Viliami uh, Vahoko from San Jose State. He was very similar. Mountain West defensive player of the year. 19 tackles for loss. Nine sacks last year. He has great instincts. Really, really good pass moves. He's one of those guys that he, I mean, spin moves, rips. he He does everything. He has so many fun moves that like he just breaks out. He's got all the skill in the world. He just lacks that, you know, true NFL size and speed which is probably why, you know, he won't go until the fifth, sixth round. Uh, he's, he's Vita Vea's cousin, which I always love kind of having the the bloodline. And, you know, so uh, Vajoko is kind of my other guy that I would go with. Him, him him, and Ramirez are kind of my two my two edge rushers that I, I really like both of them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, San Jose State, I, I remember back when we were talking to Colin Wilson, I think he was in a hotel room. He's probably at some, you know, media day. I assume he probably- Did he go to pressure. this? press credentials around his neck but he was talking up san jose state and the defense put it together we were trying to
3: talk him off of that because of chevin cordero but was that was that oh was that the pot i called him an idiot because he yeah. thought he, he said they were gonna win nine games <laughs> yes
1: so in some ways you were right in some ways he was right and certainly on the defensive side of things um you know this guy being the standout so i agree with you there was a lot more to like I think in the front seven defensively in this draft, and I think there's going to be some real stars that are going to merge, whether they end up here in their name in Kansas city or not. I think there's going to be some valuable players. that are going to make rosters from the undrafted pool as well. Just kind of one of those weird years where you didn't see a lot of absolute burners on the perimeter at wide receiver or running backs who were really versatile. A lot of the backs we talked about, they're really good at one thing. And you know, that that's kind of the Achilles heel and kind of getting on the field in the NFL you got to be able to pick up blitzes. you got to be at least serviceable in the pass game. You see it with elite coaches like Andy Reid, where when he's playing running back by committee, one of his running backs drops a pass. It's like, well, great. I won't see him for three more weeks. Like, he's just basically in the doghouse kind of thing. And I think a lot of NFL coaches are very similar in that regard. They want these running backs to be well-rounded. So – to that ends that's why I think these defensive players are going to end up being sticking in more cases than not from the G5 level as opposed to their offensive counterparts. Any other final thoughts as we wrap up our part two of the NFL Draft G5 special? Um,
3: no, not really. Like you said, it, it's it's a weird year for the G5. Um, not It's pretty, you know, nobody at the top. But I do think that, you know, there's always those gems, those guys that come out of nowhere. I'm very curious to see, I'm just don't think like as you were talking i started thinking about this i'm very curious if we'll see down you know going forward if this year's trend continues be- between the combination of the transfer portal you have a guy like tinsley where it's like tinsley's not a g5 guy because mm-hmm. he transferred and he i mean he's gonna go in the seventh round like i'm sure i'm curious if we'll see in the future like you know those what would khalil Mack have transferred from buffalo if he could have and, and will we see you know those kind of big name first round pick guys transfer to P five schools. So they won't really count as G fives. And then on the flip side, which is great for us in college football is you also have the added with NIL where instead of being a seventh round pick, go back to school. You know, Frank Harris is probably going to make more at UTSA than he will in the NFL. You know, Michael Pratt, you have these guys that are, college football studs that you know not that either of them probably would have come out but there's a lot more incentive now to stay in college if you're going to be one of these late round g5 draft picks so i'm curious if we'll start to see less and less g5 guys you know in the draft in the top of the draft and if that's you know as as our as the g5 guys i do think the nil factor is is going to be good for us in that sense because we'll get to, you know, we get to see Frank Harris again in college, we get to see Michael Pratt, we get to see those guys. So, I'm curious to see if this is just a, a weird year where there's not a ton of high end talent or if it's a, going to be a, a trend with the between NIL and the portal. If we'll, we won't see as many high G5 guys,
1: yeah, I mean, we did see it at Western Kentucky this year with Austin Reed, you know, going in the portal and then all of a sudden he's got a new car. I guess they threw together a bake sale or something. It's like you don't necessarily need SEC god money to keep one guy it's like hey can you get 70 grand together for you know a convertible okay now all of a sudden things are a little bit more amenable between these players and the schools that gave them a chance in the first place so yeah i think that's an interesting story to continue to to watch because this will be the first year in the history of the draft potentially that there's no g5 players taken in the first two rounds of the draft so is that trends is that an anomaly we're going to keep on top of
3: it but either way we're going to be spot. Uh, Grayson, Grayson McCall is a good example. Of that where, yeah, where where do you think McCall would have been drafted if he came out, but he, you know, got the bag to transfer. So, we'll yeah, see it's what, what it, he does it so.
1: is it is interesting. You know, he. I thought there was a chance he was going to go to Liberty. I thought he was going to go to the Power Five level. It's it's now this free agent Palooza every single year, and there's not necessarily an off switch for it. There's different windows. We're now in this secondary window where you could see some players transfer some quarterbacks who don't end up getting their starting jobs leaving after spring practice. So a uh, lots to monitor to that ends. We'll be back. Yeah. McCall McCall i up, st- up staying. Didn't yeah, he? McCall's still at coastal Carolina. So but he, like, he probably got back to do that. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that's despite the fact that he pisses teal, he probably needed a little bit of green to go with that as well. Yeah. Hey
3: McCall, you want a bunch of money to stay on the beach or do you want to go play for, you know, god knows who the arizona cardinals like, oh, stay on the gas beach
1: <laughs> for mike Ionello, i'm mike calabrese this has been the big bets on campus podcast brought to you by bet mgm our group of five deep dive draft special part two now in the books we're going to be back during this off season with some more content getting you ready for august as we get into in earnest the win totals the conference futures national title futures playoff futures you know, if you want to light some money on fire, go ahead with some G5 national title futures, but there's always a chance that someone puts together that dream season. We'll do our G5 draft again. Hopefully this year, one of us actually picks a winner. Although our beloved producer, Matt Mitchell, I think was pretty happy with his two lane win. I believe it was a, a nice fancy bowl game quarter zip. Um, so we're going to have more content. As I mentioned, the new BCS is back on Thursday with Colin Stuckey and Brett McMurphy, so be sure to check that out. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the draft Thursday through Saturday. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly.